You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio. And this is Do Facts Matter? And uh, we wonder about that many times, and all you have to do is look at Washington, D.C., and find out whether facts matter. And our host is... Robert D'Agostino, who's been a friend of mine for years and years and years, and uh, but Robert has to be out of town or, or is uh, not available today. So standing in and uh, a very good stand-in because uh, he's had a lot of training with Robert is Robert D'Agostino's son, Joseph, who is also an attorney. He's a professor of law, and I'm going to welcome him and let him tell you all about himself. So, Robert, it's Robert. Joseph, it's all yours. Robert here today. We share some similar views on politics and things. I would say I'm more traditionally conservative than my father is. I take a more traditional Catholic European approach to society, to politics, and to history. Uh, But we see things uh, very similarly when it comes to most of the salient issues today in politics and society. And he asked me to fill in for him today, so I thought I would give a little bit of probably the same take on the the recent events that you get elsewhere, but also a little bit of a different take, and then also talk a bit about what's going on on the left, because I imagine many of your listeners here don't necessarily follow what's going on the left. And by the by the left, I mean more the true left rather than what the media sort of liberal left, but more the radical left. What they're saying, what they're thinking, the conflict going on within it and between it and the liberal democratic establishment. And then we can take a look at sort of, sort of try to fit more about, uh, fit the different pieces together and have a greater understanding, more of an understanding of what's really happening and where America might be going and what's going to happen later on in this kind of exciting election year, which I find very interesting and and especially very entertaining because I feel you must view politics as entertainment um, because I think that's a lot of what it's about and I think that's sort of the best attitude towards it. You know, uh, So first of all, this week, of course, what we had was uh, the impeachment. Uh, this is possibly the best week that Donald Trump has had since becoming president. So many good things happened all at once. My father, Robert, does like to say that for a long time things will not uh, happen, not much will happen, and then a bunch of things all happen at once. So this week, of course, uh, President Trump was acquitted uh, under the, uh, the articles of impeachment by the Senate. He also had a great uh, court ruling on emoluments just today. He gave a, a very good State of the Union speech, which I think politically uh, is very effective. The Democrats have radically embarrassed themselves with the Iowa caucus uh, debacle, which is still going on. It's still not resolved, even though it's now Friday and the caucus was Monday. So this has been an excellent week for President Trump and the Republican Party generally. And it's interesting to see how these things have all come together in in one week and what's happening for the future. Because, of course, we've been told for a long time uh, by the media, by Democrats, uh, by others, that Trump is a weak president who is very unlikely to be reelected. He's very unpopular uh, outside of the Republican Party. Within the Republican Party, there are a lot of people who are very suspicious of him, so on. We've been told this over and over again. Yet the fact is... Has he ever really been in a politically stronger position than he is right now? It doesn't look like it. Since impeachment started, 
his Gallup approval rating has gone up by 10 points, which is just a, a huge increase. It hit an all-time high earlier this week. And given what's happened even since then and in Iowa and so on, it may rise even higher. So he has an all-time high approval rating since becoming president uh, in the Gallup poll. The Democratic Party is having serious issues. And so it, it never, uh, it never really looked better for President Trump. Um, Mitt Romney's vote against him in impeachment, you know, the Republican senator from Utah, I think is something that helps Trump more than hurts him. I don't think Mitt Romney has much respect, uh, among uh, grassroots voters, independents, uh, so on and so forth, or, or within the Republican Party very much. So I think that helps him as well. And I think the first thing to think about with the politics is to remember, first and foremost, politics as theater, right? So there's a very famous quote, politics is show business for ugly people. And I really I really think that makes a lot of sense. Politics is show business for ugly people. And I think if you first view politics and the, the mainstream media and so on, first of all, as theater. Theater meant to impress people. Theater meant to propagandize people. Uh, theater meant to distract people uh, from what's really going on. I think politics makes a lot more sense. I think if you take politics uh, on its own terms, that this, these are serious people doing serious work on behalf of the country and so on, I think you're making a mistake because I just don't think that's true. I don't know if that was ever true, but I don't think it's been true in this country uh, for decades now, and it, and it just gets more and more extreme. I think impeachment, and I can speak uh, to this as you know, as a law professor as well as just uh, a citizen of the United States. I don't think impeachment was ever meant to be serious. It was not conducted in a serious way. Uh, the investigation that the House undertook last year, uh, Jared Nadler, Adam Schiff, etc., was not conducted in a serious way. The charges that they filed were not raised in a serious way. The 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 uh, case presented before the Senate was just not a serious case. It was not presented in a serious way. The whole thing was never meant to try to appeal to maybe moderate Republicans, anti-Trump Republicans in the Senate to get them to try to vote to convict uh, the president. It was not meant to actually focus on the worst aspects of the Trump presidency, because they didn't. And there are some genuinely troubling aspects of the Trump presidency, not just from policy-wise, but legal-wise. Uh, the Democrats chose not to focus on that. Instead, they chose to focus on the Ukrainian aid, the president's uh, words and decisions around that. They never had uh, good proof that a quid pro quo was involved, that he uh, really uh, made it clear to the Ukrainians that if they didn't investigate Joe Biden, they wouldn't get the foreign aid. That, you know, they don't have the evidence for that. The Ukrainians themselves say that's not how it happened. So when you have the so-called victims saying they weren't victimized, it's hard to make a good case. Uh, in addition, even if there were a quid pro quo, it wasn't illegal, or at least you can make a very good argument it wasn't illegal. Edward Foley, for example, who's a very senior law professor and legal scholar, he's the director of the Center for Election Law at Ohio State University's Law School, and, and not uh, not someone who works for Trump or anyone like that. This is a prominent, distinguished academic who's been around for a long time. He himself wrote an article saying that even if there was a quid pro quo, nothing illegal happened, right? Uh, even if uh, Trump explicitly withheld the aid from Ukraine or delayed it, which is actually all that really happened, either way, uh, in return for reopening the investigation to Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, his son, uh, that was not illegal. So there was no illegal activity here, at least 
very prominent academics who understand these things are making that argument publicly. And, of course, there's really no proof there was a quid pro quo anyway. Beyond that, uh, let's, let's be frank. Who in America really cares about Ukraine? You know, no, nothing against Ukraine. I wish them well. I wish it well. I wish Ukrainians well. But what proportion of the American people really care if the country of Ukraine receives foreign military assistance with their tax money or not? I, I wager most Americans would prefer they didn't receive this money and this tax money went elsewhere. But the idea that the Democrats were going to make a serious case based on this Ukraine thing, I think, was laughable from the beginning. And I think they knew that. And I think it just wasn't meant to be serious. So I think you have to look at it uh, as political theater and see that they chose to ignore more serious things, chose to focus on this. And we all know that almost all of them wanted to impeach President Trump before the Ukraine phone call ever became public in the first place. So it was clearly a pretext that they seized upon to, for some reason, uh, to to highlight and move forward on impeachment as opposed to the other issues they've been talking about for three years or so that they supposedly cared about. Then the Ukraine thing comes up and they seize upon that and ignore almost these other things. But when Adam Schiff says to the Senate things like, if President Trump was acquitted, he might trade Alaska to the Russians for something or something like that. When you're saying obviously ridiculous, over-the-top things like that, and I'm saying I'm not saying Trump doesn't do that as well, okay? So Trump definitely says ridiculous, over-the-top things, right? But when you're trying to claim you are the responsible group of people, right? When the Democrats are trying to claim we are the responsible adult alternative to Donald Trump, and we are trying to, we are making a serious legal and constitutional case against President Trump on various issues, particularly with impeachment. And then you have the ridiculous lies that Schiff has told over the course of the investigation. Even the Washington Post gave him their highest rating for being a liar, four Pinocchios, right? So even the Washington Post said that he was a blatant liar. The various lies that he has told, the various lies Pelosi has told, the various lies Nadler, uh, I would say, has told, uh, and then saying ridiculously absurd, fear-mongering things like losing Alaska to the Russians if, if Trump becomes president, saying we have to fight Russia over there so we don't fight them uh, over here as if Russia's going to invade or something, uh, the United States. It's clearly theater, and there, I think that if you think about it, they're indicating to you that it is theater and not meant to be taken seriously. Joseph, in fact, Adam Schiff. Joseph, let me ask Hollywood. you something. Uh, right? Do you think so? I don't think this is by accident. You could say, "What a funny coincidence in history!" This this ridiculous theater is run by a guy who actually represents uh, Hollywood in, in his district, and of course, he hops on with all these Hollywood stars, etc., because they, you know, he's he's uh, represents them. So. I don't think it's an accident. I think uh, he was put in charge of, of impeachment for for a reason, uh, and it's the, the do the theater. And of course, Trump does the theater too. He his career has been built a lot on PR and theater and over the top ness, right? And of course, he was a reality TV star for for well, I think it was eleven years, over a decade anyway. So that's a long time to be an actor and to be a TV star. Uh, and he, this is one reason why he's so good at what he does uh, in Washington, because politics is more theater than anything else, and because he is very, very good at it. And the Democrats are not as good at it. So what was this theater meant to accomplish, right? So why was impeachment not serious? Why do they never have any real intention of actually seriously trying to remove President Trump? The chances were always low, but if they had 
conducted a really serious, thorough investigation, had really come up with articles of impeachment that were well-drawn, clearly drawn, very legalistically well done, and made a very serious, sober case to the Senate, they would at least maybe have had a chance of getting Republican senators, other than the obvious, you know, uh, weak ones and, and pandering to the media ones like Romney, to cross over uh, and vote, as well as go down in history as having conducted a really serious impeachment. They clearly chose from the beginning not to do that. So what was the political theater meant to accomplish? I think it was meant to accomplish, first and most obviously, was actually meant meant to accomplish polarization and division. So the impeachment gets all the people who hate Trump already even more excited, right? And so it accomplishes the goal of motivating the Democratic base, does not really appeal to people outside of it, but gets that, that goal. So it's partisan theater to excite that base. It also excites Trump's base. It gets people very angry at the Democrats, which I think the Democrats want. I think they want this kind of division. After all, they're always promoting identity politics and are always saying racist things, sexist things, very nasty things about Christians, about white people, uh, about men sometimes, and so on. On rather ridiculous basis. I'm not saying we should the way the world works, but it should be done on on the right for the right reasons, um, and not for ridiculous reasons, right? So they've been. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual, family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Okay, and we're coming back with uh, Do Facts Matter? And we've got Joseph D'Agostino on the line, and back to you, Joseph. Thank you, David. Yeah, so as I was speaking about impeachment, uh, distracting attention um, from various things, and then also maybe focusing attention on um, the Biden family's corrupt dealings overseas, particularly in the Ukraine, uh, to hurt his candidacy, because clearly they decided uh, to promote other people, like uh, Pete uh, Buttigieg, who is now uh, the, the preferred candidate of the Democratic establishment. They've tried some others, uh, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden. They all had serious flaws. Um, and so they think maybe the Buttigieg is going to be their best bet, perhaps. Um, and further, I think uh, what I think a lot of more conservative listeners don't understand is the internecine warfare within a Democratic Party between the progressives and the liberals, right, between the more radical left and the establishment, uh, liberals, DNC, Democratic National Committee, sort of the rulers of the party versus a lot of the grassroots of the party. And one reason why Russia Gate was invented was to enable the establishment to escape responsibility for losing to Donald Trump, right, because... Just about everyone said that Donald Trump would lose, that Hillary Clinton would win, that Trump was a ridiculous candidate, he was a joke candidate, so on and so forth. But he won anyway. Well, the the Bernie people, the Bernie bros, of course, the more progressives, their narrative is, well, it's because you nominated a, an establishment corrupt liberal like Hillary Clinton. People didn't want to vote for her. She was a bad candidate in other ways, too. She has a repulsive personality and so on. But that she wasn't radical enough. She wasn't progressive enough, and Bernie would have beaten Trump. 
And so the establishment had to come up with its own way of protecting itself and to blame Russia, to, to, to blame Facebook trolls and Twitter trolls and so on to justify their continued power in the party instead of admitting that they were failures. They didn't know what they were doing. They even lost to this ridiculous carnival barker named Donald Trump, right? So right now, um, and I suspect a lot of listeners don't do this, but I read what uh, progressives say online or progressives say in their own magazines to keep uh, track of what they're saying. And I have never seen, despite following politics for decades now, I have never seen them more angry than they are now, right? So the war within the Democratic Party, the war within the, the, the liberal left, generally speaking, ranging everyone, you know, from everyone from moderate liberals to the Marxists, who are actually involved in politics, right, for all the way from basically the, the you know, sort of pro-billionaire Wall Street class of, of liberals, for whom everything else is just an imposture, right? They don't really care about, they don't care about gay rights, et cetera. It's all about protecting the wealth of the parasitic class of bankers in New York and big tech companies and so on, uh, international free trade so they can profit at the expense of American workers and so on, all the way over to the, you know, the Trotskyites, right, who want to kill everyone who's not a far left, right? So uh, those people, you know, they're, they're two, they're a bunch of different sides, but they're two basic sides, the establishment liberals and the progressives. And I've never seen the progressives so angry, so furious at the democratic establishment. Um, they hate Buttigieg. They don't care that he is gay. Uh, that is not important to them. Buttigieg is clearly the uh, a candidate of the liberal establishment. He has the most uh, Wall Street billionaire support out of any candidate, even more than Joe Biden. He used to work in finance himself, so on and so forth. He clearly is a liberal who's not a true progressive in the eyes of progressives. Um, and he represents the interests of the money power in this country. He represents the interests of the moderates politically in this, within the Democratic Party uh, as the progressives see it. Uh, and so they see the Iowa caucus as having been stolen from Bernie Sanders. Uh, and they see the attempt to steal the New Hampshire primary from Bernie Sanders by promoting Buttigieg as the, the you know, leading candidate and getting all this good press about how he won Iowa, et cetera, giving him a lot of momentum going into New Hampshire that Bernie should have had from winning the Iowa caucuses, right? So the illusion is breaking down. Just as Trump has helped to break down the illusions about politics, the illusions of fairness, the illusions of the media, right? Fake news media is a common phrase now. I think that, you know, the, the dramatic decline of trust in the, in the mainstream media uh, is, is due, of course, partly to Donald Trump, but it's due mostly to themselves by presenting a very false illusion instead of the better illusions that they used to make, right? They used to be much more credible. Walter Cronkite, Dan Rather used to be much more credible. The people they have now are, are so obviously phony. And then, of course, there's new technology. The Internet enables people to fact-check, to present counter-narratives to the mainstream media. They can't control uh, the dialogue and the discussion the way they used to because now anyone can be a journalist. Right? You know, when I was uh, starting out in this business many, many years ago, uh, if, we, if I had done anything compared to what they do today, I would have been fired instantly. We reported the news. That's N-E-W-S. It's not N-O-O-Z. It was news. And if I had expressed an opinion, I would have been gone in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And what we get today is 
opinions from some are educated and some are not. And it doesn't matter, but you can give your opinion on anything, whether you know what you're talking about or not. And that's exactly what we're getting through many of the mainstream media today. And it even I was listening to a station uh, way out of town, and even on some of the smallest stations, you have people giving their opinions, which means absolutely nothing. Right. I think the first pe- thing people need to accept is that journalists don't really exist. There are very few. The people who work for the mainstream media and for most other media organs are actually propagandists. They are, and I think very consciously so, there to defend the interests of the rich and powerful or from some other clique, but usually the rich and powerful. That's certainly who the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, ABC, etc. are protecting. They are there to protect the interests and promote the interests of the deep state, of Wall Street, bankers, big corporations, defense contractors, uh, and so on, Right. I think conservative, conservatives kind of have this bizarre idea that ultra-rich people earn their money, deserve their money, or are on their side or something, and that's not true. I'm not talking about your wealthy businessman who started a business, was very successful, or executive of sort of a medium-sized company or, you know, multimillionaire. I'm talking about the really rich people, right? I'm talking about people with hundreds of millions of dollars in net worth at least, oftentimes billionaires. I'm talking about Goldman Sachs. I'm talking about Raytheon. I'm talking about these kinds of people, right? So uh, as well as people who are not necessarily super rich, but in the deep state, running the CIA and uh, FBI and so on, right? So these people uh, have long controlled the media. They own the media, for one thing, 80% of it. Uh, the CIA has long had its agents running uh, the Washington Post and, um, and infiltrating the New York Times and all the other media organizations. This has been well documented for decades. And so I think the first thing you need to, that anyone needs to do is recognize that journalists are not journalists, right? That's why they don't tell the truth. That's why they hide things. That's why they say lies. That is their job. They're not failing at their job when they lie, okay? They're not failing at their job when they give misleading narratives. They're not failing at their job when they fail to report newsworthy information that hurts the liberal narrative. No, they're doing their job, right? Once you recognize that their job is to propagandize on behalf of certain interests, then you realize why they never get fired, why they never get sanctioned, why they often get awards, like the Washington Post did for the phony Russiagate scandal, right? Uh, Because they are doing what their real job is. Right. So once you understand that these people are rewarded and advanced and uh, enriched for doing these lies, for doing all these other things, the deep state doing things against the interests of the American people, then they get promoted. Right. Even under Trump, this continues to happen. It's not. Well, they do a bad job. Why aren't they ever punished? Why? You know, no, they are doing their job. You just don't understand what their real job is. OK. So once you understand what their real job is, you can understand the world better. But I want to continue to talk about what's going on within the Democratic Party, within the the liberal progressive coalition, because I think it's something listeners may not know much about. And it has really uh, gotten very hot, and it's going to get hotter over the course of this year. This, of course, is very good news for Donald Trump. It's very good news for Republicans. Uh, It's very good news for conservatives, because the uh, civil war within the Democratic Party 
is dramatically weakening that party and dramatically decreasing their chances of doing well at the polls in November and is, and uh, may uh, uh, continue to the decline in their cultural influence as well through the media, Hollywood, etc. It's very good. So you have people um, saying, you know, people uh, who, are, who are progressive but not radical progressives, journalists, if you want to call them that, maybe they actually are among the few genuine journalists, like Michael Tracy and Glenn Greenwald, Aaron Maté, saying things like, you know, the Iowa caucuses were rigged. They're stealing this stuff from Bernie Sanders. These, you know, the Democratic, uh, the DNC, the Democratic elites, etc., are corrupt. Uh, you can't, we cannot trust these people. You've got a lot of people online saying, I will not vote for Pete Buttigieg if he's a Democratic nominee. And if these people don't come out and vote for Buttigieg, then he's not going to win. Right, uh, they don't come out in November and vote against uh, for him and against Trump. So what you're seeing is a lot of extremely harsh rhetoric that I don't think is performative. I think you know, like a lot of what liberals and progressives say, like you're racist if you look at a you know you look at a black person funny or something. You know, they, they make the whole thing a, an absurd parody. Right? I don't think um, that that is what's going on here. I think that they're very sincere. I think that they're very angry. And I think that they really could, if, if an uh, establishment liberal like Buttigieg or an out-and-out oligarch like Michael Bloomberg, and it's interesting that they are now using the word oligarch to describe people like Michael Bloomberg, um, because, you know, so it, I think it shows a better understanding of the world than they used to have and how the, America really works and who really runs America, who really owns America. Joseph? It's not the politicians. What's that? We're going to have to take a break in just a second, but I want to ask you one quick question, and and it should be a fairly quick answer. Is it hate or what I see, and particularly with the, with the main players, Pelosi and Schumer and Nader and Nadler and um, and Schiff? I see extreme, out of control jealousy. Of Trump? Of Trump, yes. I don't think so. I, I think when it comes to people like Pelosi, Nather, and Schiff, it's performative. It's theater. These people don't really believe in anything except money, status, power. They're just shills for the oligarchs, shills for the ultra-rich people who fund them and who control the American system more than anyone else. Those sort of people don't, I don't think those people have genuine principles other than whatever, you know, makes them feel comfortable or enriches them or gets them attention, something like that, which is a lot of what people say about Donald Trump. Um, so I don't believe, I think that their anger is phony. I'm talking about the progressives who are more the, the true believers and who really believe the stuff uh, that they say. I think those people are genuinely angry. Yeah. We're going to have to take a break, and uh, we'll be back with Joseph right after this. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com.
morning. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org Hello, this is Michael Daly with Atlanta Healing Center. We know that addiction is a brain disease. Addiction is a family disease. Addiction is a treatable disease. We have a caring professional staff with over 30 years experience to help you and your loved ones in your recovery. You can reach us at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, we are back. So I should expand a little bit about what I just said about people like Pelosi and Adler Schiff. They may be very angry about things. They may have a sort of generalized resentment or something specific. Maybe they, they really resent Donald Trump. But I don't think that their their performances in public um, are really a matter of trying to advance principles against Donald Trump we're trying to personally replace Donald Trump. Certainly Pelosi and Nader are too old to become president. They didn't have, they never ran for president. Schiff hasn't run for president yet. He can't blame Trump for blocking his way to the presidency, anything like that. So, uh, they may be angry. They, they, you know, we all certainly have our flaws, etc. But I do think, uh, they're not really out there to advance a principled agenda. They're not angry about Trump for being a racist or a fascist or, or, or a conservative or anything like that. That's all performative, right? Um, it's for the cameras, and it's to get people riled up. But on the, on the progressive left, um, you're seeing so many of these people just becoming absolutely furious at the Democratic Party, and they're training their fire on the establishment and the liberals within the Democratic Party, not on Trump, right? So the whole system, uh, since Trump uh, got elected, that the Democratic Party establishment has set up to divert people's blame and attention away from the, fa- the failed uh, liberal establishment that, that nominated Hillary, rigged the 2016 primaries against Hillary, against, excuse me, against Bernie in favor of Hillary, uh, prevented a true progressive, a true believer like a socialist, as he describes himself, like Bernie Sanders from getting the nomination, and successfully diverted progressive rage against them and against Trump and then certain other figures. Uh, through Russiagate and through claiming Trump's a racist to the most, you know, ridiculous uh, distortions of the things that he says, uh, because there are lots to say against Donald Trump. Uh, he is a liar. He has he has committed adultery. He has done, uh, you know, some, maybe some shady business practices. But there's no evidence uh, that I can see that he's been uh, that he's that he's racist, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, that's just sort of the silly things they just use, right? So. They, uh, that system of diverting the anger of their millions of progressives, tens of millions of progressives that they need, uh, to, to win elections. 
that system they set up through various means, not just Russiagate, but through various other means, is breaking down. Um, and the progressives have become angrier and angrier at the tricks that the liberal establishment has employed to prevent their agenda from getting enacted, to prevent their candidates, not just Bernie Sanders, but a lot of other candidates around the country, congressional candidates, Senate candidates who were sabotaged by the DNC and liberal establishment, but Bernie Sanders being obviously the most important one. They are furious and it is, it is breaking up and they are, they are, they have been saying, and especially this week, they, they are saying, if Bernie is not the nominee, we are not going to vote Democrat. If, Ber- if Buttigieg or Bloomberg is the nominee, we're not going to vote Democrat. We will, we will vote third party. You know, this, this is, of course, fantastic news for Trump. And there, this also reflects, there are also some long-term trends that create serious problems for the Democratic Party, right? So in identity politics, so just this week there were three very entertaining stories. Identity politics probably involving millennials, right? This past week that shows how there's, because you can never be woke enough, people will use identity politics all the time to have grievances and how it's beginning to destroy the Democratic Party from within, right? One was an article, I believe in Politico, about how a bunch of women, women of color in Elizabeth Warren's Nevada campaign uh, left because they felt like their voices weren't being heard. It was racist and sexist environment in Elizabeth Warren's campaign. And their voices weren't being heard, and they weren't given enough of responsibility, and, and so on and so forth. So this big article basically you know, accusing the Warren campaign of being racist and sexist, right? because these women in color are so unhappy, so they left, right? There's another one uh, about how there was um, how the oh the Bernie Bros uh, the term Bernie Bro is sexist, racist, and transphobic, right? So now anytime a liberal uses the term Bernie Bro, uh, that means they're racist, sexist, and transphobic, right? So they're reaching for instead of talking about any sort of substantive issue uh, that might actually help the American people, they're all trading these charges against each other. There was a big article about uh, Buttigieg's claim of victory in the Iowa caucus was racist and sexist. It's the kind of thing that only a white male could do, that kind of arrogance, that kind of aggression, right? If a woman had made that claim, she would have been condemned, right? So this whole going after Buttigieg just for claiming victory in, in Iowa, not because the, the votes didn't support that, but because he's a white man saying that, right? Even though he's the guy of a lot of people in the Democratic Party. There was an article, I think it was just in Vice today, maybe it was yesterday, about how uh, an activist left the climate movement, the climate change movement, because it was too white, too many white people running the anti-global warming activism campaign, so this person left, right? So what you're going to see, particularly after the election, you're going to see, I think, a, you know, more of this using the identity politics this year, too, but after the election in particular, using the identity politics against each other within the very diverse Democratic coalition, right? The Democratic coalition is a very diverse group. It's got liberal power worshippers, you know, the super rich money people. It's got a lot of very wealthy Jews. It's got other uh, older white people who are still in charge of things. It's got, of course, black, a lot of blacks, Hispanics, Asians, people of a uh, bewildering array, array of sexual identities that is really hard to keep up with. There's like a new one every week, so on and so forth, right? So these people don't all just naturally get along. Uh, and so you're seeing more and more of that identity politics being weaponized. And as millennials 
who've been raised on this stuff, right? Who have imbibed this stuff with their mother, with their mother's milk, so to speak. As they move into positions of greater influence, as they reach age 40, middle age, start taking over the leadership of what organizations, they're going to employ this stuff to advance their careers, make themselves feel, feel better, and be susceptible to other people, particularly younger people, using it as well. And so instead of the discussion, being about who's best for the job, who can accomplish this, who can accomplish that, or what policies and things we need to do do we to make the real world better for people. The conversation, as you've already noticed, has been happening over the last few years. The conversation is going to increasingly shift to who's more racist than whom, who is the sexist, who's the homophobe, who's the Islamophobe, which is more transphobic, how do we get more diverse people in here, even if they're not the best for the job, Right, so on and so forth. How do we get diversity? And so the conversation will be about anything other than the real issues and the substance. Anything other than who is absolutely the best person for the job, even if that does happen to be a white man, right? Uh, or an Asian man, where there are too many apparently in Silicon Valley these days running things. Too many Asians, right? We need more women, blacks, Latinos, so, so on and so forth. So I think you're going to see, uh, so I think that everyone knows that we're going to see more and more of that. But what some people don't realize is how it's damaging the left and the Democratic Party within themselves and how much trouble uh, it is going to be keeping that coalition together and having millennials with their fragile senses of selves, their very weak sense of identity, which is one reason why they're so susceptible to identity politics, the very weak sense of identity. Um, going to make them more susceptible to using this, to being influenced by this, and to talk about things that simply are destructive and not useful. You know, as Christianity has declined, as American civic religion has declined, these other forms of identity are coming to the fore. I expect that process to continue. I don't see a serious survival of Christianity happening, unfortunately, in this country anytime soon. I'm Catholic myself. I don't see a real revival of the American civic religion taking place broadly, taking place within sort of maybe Trumpian circles, but not broadly. So that's going to continue, but that it, it means it has negative side, but it also has a great positive side, and that more conservative-leaning people or traditional-leaning people, Christians, can take advantage of that to promote an alternative to this increasingly irrational mess that's going on. To sort of keep track of this and to understand this, I want to suggest some sources of news and analysis that many people, particularly I think the listeners of this show probably skew a bit older, uh, may have been missing, right? And uh, I don't think Fox News is a particularly good source of news, for example. This may be heresy, right? So one example of a, a populist, Trumpian, conservative, Catholic, uh, is Jack Posobiec. He does some really good work. He works for uh, One American News Network. He has a great Twitter feed, which gives you a lot of perspective from a, a Trumpian point of view about what's going on. And will point you to sources that Fox News won't, that uh, Daily Caller won't, other conservative sources won't, right? So Jack Posobiec, I think, is really good. P-O-S-O-B-I-E-C. Uh, Mike Cernovich is a much more you know, controversial figure. He's kind of like Jack Posobiec's big brother in a certain sort of way. He unfortunately, he's not a Christian, but he is uh, interesting and will point out sources of information um, that others won't. Since about 2015, he's actually become very reliable in the information he provides. He obviously has good sources, just like Posobiec does. Uh, on the left, Michael Tracy and Glenn Greenwald 
They have great Twitter feeds. You don't have to join Twitter to read them. You can just read their feeds. They also publish articles. Um, the Intercept, for example, uh, or Jacobin Magazine. But Michael Tracy and Glenn Greenwald are relatively honest progressive journalists who will give a more genuinely progressive point of view and not just shill for the establishment the way the Washington Post, New York Times, CNN, MSNBC do, right? They actually have some independence, right? Aaron Maté is another example. An example of someone who's more radical left, right, beyond Tracy Greenwald, Sean P. McCarthy, right, who's, I think, an out-and-out out uh, Marxist, openly so, is, a, is an interesting source of information to see what's going on, right? Because there's no one place to get the information that's going to tell you the truth. If you really want to know what's going on, you're going to have to read the mainstream media, you're going to have to read some progressive media, you're going to have to read some conservative media, you're going to have to read some populist media, and so on. There are more radical sources of information I can mention, but I think those are the ones that maybe your standard conservative can sort of digest and understand uh, and profit from. And over the course of this year, as the divisions become bigger, because keep in mind, this is only February, right? You can imagine how hysterical things are going to get the closer we come to Trump's potential re-election, right? You see how hysterical they are now. Uh, the closer we get to Trump's potential re-election, the more hysterical uh, things will become. Reading those variety of sources can give people a lot of information that's very useful. Um, and I think in particular, Jack Posobiec would be someone that a lot of conservatives who are not reading really populist media, but more standard conservative media like Fox News, they can really profit from following uh, uh, Posobiec and the other people uh, that he mentions, right? So we can see things really changing in a way that I don't think they've changed since Ronald Reagan, right? I think that Trump has changed things in a way uh, that no one else has been able to in a long time. The changes so far are mostly rhetorical. Trump has not drained the swamp. Uh, Trump has not really taken on the deep state in a very serious way. Um, he's made some positive tax and regulatory changes, some positive trade changes, appointed some good judges. But he has not taken on the system in a really systematic way that needs to be done. I don't know that he's going to. We'll see. Joseph, we're going um, to have to let people think about that while we take a break. All right. We'll be back in a minute or two. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 
We're back for our last segment on Do Facts Matter, America's web radio. I'm just D'Agostino filling in just for the day for my father, Robert, who is otherwise engaged. So we talk a little bit about the events of the week and what they mean. Politics is theater because really their psychological effect on people, their social effect on people is more important than anything else. Because as I just said, I don't think fundamental change is really taking place uh, in terms of law, in terms of the deep state, so on. I know that some Trump supporters think that's happening. I don't see evidence of that happening. Maybe it will happen. But so far, really, the effect has been uh, not on the power structures, not on the law, and so on, except in relatively marginal ways. But I think you've had a strong psychological effect. You have a strong spiritual effect, a strong social effect of Trump's rhetoric, of Trump's election, of the reaction to Trump, and what's going on within the Democratic Party with the intensification of identity politics, with the war between the liberal establishment and the progressive wing um, of the party becoming more and more intense, nastier and nastier, uh, in a way that it seems unlikely that the two halves will come together at the end of the primaries. If, if Buttigieg is the nominee, it seems unlikely that the progressives are really going to, that most of them are really going to get behind him, or Bloomberg is the nominee. Uh, and then if Bernie Sanders ends up being the nominee, uh, it seems based on the extreme lengths that the establishment of the Democratic Party is going to, uh, to stop Bernie Sanders, it seems unlikely that they will support him in the way that, that he would need, uh, in order to win the election against Trump. And of course, there are other problems, right? Um, can Bougies get the black and Hispanic voters out in large enough numbers to win, given that he's gay? Because many people uh, just won't vote for a gay candidate. That is just the re- reality. And I think that's especially true of a good number of socially conservative black and Hispanic Democrat voters. And there are actually a lot of socially conservative black and Democrat voters. Uh, just won't come out to, to vote for him. Might not vote for Trump wouldn't come out to vote for him, just as many of them did not vote for Hillary in 2016. Uh, And Bernie Sanders, will people vote for a socialist? Will moderate swing voters or moderately liberal voters in the Democratic Party itself, uh, will they come out to vote for someone who is an out-and-out socialist, right? As well as other issues, of course. Sanders is old, kind of grumpy, has some personality issues, uh, so on and so forth. Um, that kind of thing that can make it difficult for him to win, right? So certainly things look good there, and I think things. Um, but, but we must remember that you know, that we have to look at the, the long term and look at the long term trends. And some of those are very negative, maybe most of them, but there are some very positive ones, particularly with the identity politics sort of crack up where it's being used against the establishment, where, where various wings of the party and of the left are using it against each other, and so on. As well as, of course, people in general just kind of getting tired of it, right? People are tired of people accusing others of race, being racist or sexist on the basis of very um, thin grounds, and so on and so forth. And keep in mind, too, that, of course, a lot of this uh, anathematizes traditional people, particularly traditional religious people, Christians, Jews, Muslims, and others who believe in sex roles as taught by the Bible, 
for example. Right, so this week, an Australian mother posted online how she likes to get up early and make her husband's breakfast, and she was just attacked and swarmed by people how ridiculous she was. Uh, I think it was last week the BBC aired a segment linking traditional wives, trad wives, to Nazis and far-right people, as if homemaking women who stay home and uh, take care of the children and uh, you know do the cooking and cleaning are somehow crypto-Nazis, right? So this is what these people think uh, of you. This is what these people think of Christians, what they think of other traditional people and uh, traditional women in particular. They hate them. They despise them, right? And that's just becoming more and more obvious. And I think that uh, we'll continue forward, right? Um, we'll continue to see, too, um, I think this internationally, right, which I think is important. I think Americans should pay a little more attention, particularly what goes on in, in Europe. We just had Brexit, of course. But the Conservative Party, unfortunately, is also policing its members from making links with other uh, right-wing populist parties in Europe. Uh, a Tory MP who was originally from Poland, actually has a Polish last name, uh, was disciplined for going to a, a conference in Rome about nationalism uh, where uh, Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary, also spoke, for example, where Matteo Salvini, who was the right-wing populist leader, good chance will be the next Prime Minister of Italy, was there, right? So these are very popular politicians. One is already Prime Minister, and it was somehow unacceptable for a conservative member of Parliament to go there. Uh, they said it was racist, it was you know, this and that, Islamophobic. They even said it was anti-Semitic even though the conference was actually organized by a Jewish man, uh, so uh, Hazoni, uh, who's uh, well-known in national circles in the United States, right? So they're, they're continuing to do this. Unfortunately, the conservative establishment, uh, not as much Trump, but the conservative establishment is still uh, very ridiculous, still anti-identity politics, still basically works for the left as a matter of uh, de facto reality, uh, works for the left. And so that's something that I think those of us on the on the right side of the divide need to really work on, just as the progressives. So this is a really important point, I think. Uh, just as the progressives within the Democratic Party and other liberal parties around the Western world want to replace their elites with more radically left-wing people, right? They want the Pelosi's of the world gone. They want the Schumer's of the world gone to replace the people like Bernie Sanders or uh, Keith Ellison, people like that, right? Um, I think we need to do the same, right? Our elites, our governing, uh, most yeah, of our Republican politicians, conservative movement leaders, etc., uh, are not doing a good job. They're far too accommodating of the left. I think a lot of them are actually liberals at heart anyway. Uh, and we need to replace them with much more aggressive, much more radical people. And you see a younger generation in particular people, like the Soviets, for example, who's in the 30s, uh, rising up. You see people like Nick Fuente, who's leading the America First movement, um, particularly strong, coming strong on college campuses, uh, rising up, right? And these people aren't necessarily perfect. But they're better than the people that the crowd overthrew. So we can see uh, all these trends happening, and I think we need to push them along uh, and make them happen. Uh, but if people were feeling that Trump was in trouble or anything like that, that's clearly not the case, at least after this week. What's that, David? The other thing is um, to uh, give veterans a discount if they want to play tennis there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's 
highly commendable. I tell you who would be more interested. Okay, I'm not sure what Dave is talking about there. Um, but uh, another thing that is going to uh, happen very soon, um, obviously, is the New Hampshire primary. If Abushis wins that, I think that you're going to see we're going to see uh, the progressives really just start uh, to actually walk out of the Democratic Party. And I think that would be truly fascinating to see. Truly interesting to see. Some people are talking about how the Democratic Party will split into two different parties, uh, which I thought couldn't happen this year, but perhaps will, especially given the enormous number of uh, the enormous uh, ad buys, etc. Michael Bloomberg, who's a, I think worth $55 billion, spending hundreds of millions basically buying money and really angering progressives as a result because it's a very blatant example of how an ultra-rich person who actually was a Republican just a few years ago uh, can can buy so much uh, attention within the Democratic Party and reveals it to be something owned by the ultra-rich. Like yeah, I, did see, I saw the email on her in America. I remember that. So all these things are going to change. Right? All these things are looking like that they're going to change and it's going to uh, get better and it's going to improve. I think the last thing I want to talk about um, are some of the legal cases that have happened recently, and they're now been going Trump's way. One thing that I, I find really funny is uh, people saying Trump is stupid and incompetent, and uh, I find that very entertaining when I hear people say that, because if he's stupid and incompetent, what does that say about the people who just defeat right? What does it say about you, right, or your... You're the people you support, right? Trump has defeated them, uh, Democrats, Republican establishment, conservative leaders, so on and so on, so many times, over and over again. And I keep saying stupid and confident and ridiculous and he's like a little child, etc. Well, if that's true, how come he keeps winning, right? As he did so many times this week, partly because of the Democrats' own failures. So one example is the emoluments ruling, which I mentioned earlier, right? So a, a three-judge panel, appeals court panel, unanimously decided that the emoluments case filed by some members of Congress couldn't go forward. And so the emoluments clause in the Constitution forbids uh, politicians, you know, holders of federal office, from receiving gifts or money from foreign sources while in office, right? So Trump, of course, has a lot of business interests. Uh, so the argument is, by keeping his business interests while he is president, then, and, you know, foreigners come stay at his hotels, so on and so forth, he has investments overseas, this is the kind of emoluments, right? That's the general argument. Well, the court said that the people who filed the lawsuit didn't have standing because they were members of Congress, but they couldn't claim to represent all of Congress because they only represented a minority of Congress and therefore didn't have standing to sue, which means there's no reason to address the merits of their arguments. You know, there are substantive legal arguments about the Emoluments Clause just to say these people just don't have the right to bring a lawsuit over this issue, right? Uh, so it was, it was three to zero. Um, it seems like a pretty strong legal argument that they made. Uh, this just happened today, though, so I haven't had time to, to read the opinion. Um, but it looks pretty good, and it's just yet another victory for Trump on this great week for Trump. Um, another recent case was on immigration. We had a bad case this week uh, so far for Trump, but we had a good case from the Supreme Court. I think it was last week, maybe the week before, five to four saying that the Trump administration's decision to keep out immigrants who 
are likely to go on welfare, right? Likely to need public assistance in the first 12 months in the United States was fine, right? That the government could exclude people likely to become public wards um, from coming to the United States, right? To, to save American tax money more for Americans rather than inviting people into the country uh, who can't support themselves, right? Obviously, many people say this is mean, this is, you know, uncharitable, etc. Other people say we cannot provide welfare to the entire world. And I think that's something, too, that's going to be big in this campaign because most of the Democrats have promised to open America up to be a free health clinic for the entire world. That is really literally what they, they are promising because they say they won't remove people who are here illegally, and they also want illegal aliens here to receive free health care at government expense. So what does that do except tell the entire world, right, that you're opening up a free health clinic for everyone in the world? And that's just not feasible. It's not sustainable to use the terms environmentalists uh, like to use, right? It's just not sustainable. So we had that uh, from the Supreme Court. Uh, it was very close, obviously, 5-4 decision. But actually... And the media gives, uh, I think, sometimes, maybe most of the time, the opposite impression. The courts traditionally have given tremendous deference to Congress and the executive branch over the regulation of who can come into this country unless they are citizens. This idea that foreigners have some sort of constitutional right to enter America is completely wrong. It's completely wrong not only as a matter of the text of the Constitution, but it's also completely wrong as the Constitution has been interpreted by the courts, and particularly by the U.S. Supreme Court. So the U.S. Supreme Court can, let's say, be very creative sometimes in interpreting the Constitution, but the tradition of interpreting on immigration has been very uh, deferential to Congress and the executive branch, and the conservative majority on the court is now continuing with that, right? And can, considering the effect of demographics in America, voting patterns, social patterns, identity politics, the demographic makeup and immigration into the United States is a matter of great cultural and political importance, as well, of course, as a matter of great economic importance, right? So the fights over that can continue, and there has been a strong tradition, actually, on the left that people on the right could make alliances with some of these people on the left. It used to include Bernie Sanders, of being very skeptical. Joseph, we're going to have to wrap it up. Because they knew that the immigrants are used to undermine the wages of American workers. Joseph, we're going to have to wrap it up. All right, we're well, thank you. I'm glad to come on and help my father out and, and talk a little bit. Hopefully I've enlightened a few people to some new ways of thinking and some new sources. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.